And now Money Matters with the Lewises, Doug, Linda, and Deborah, owners of Lewis Financial Management, a Raleigh-based financial planning firm providing investment and planning advice since 1983. Doug is a certified financial planner who can answer your questions about investments, retirement planning, and estate planning. Why not call Doug, Linda, and Deborah right now with your investment question at 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783. Now, here's Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Investments offered through SFA, Inc., investment advice through Lewis Financial Management. SFA, Inc. and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities. Hello, North Carolina. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner, once again welcoming you to Money Matters with the Lewises, Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters has been providing you with a personal financial hotline for all your questions about investments, estate planning, tax planning, money management, and retirement planning for over 30 years. Well, good evening, North Carolina, and thanks to all of our listeners in the Triangle and all the way to Greensboro, to Wilmington. For those of you coming back from the beach, thank you for joining us on Money Matters with the Lewis family on News Radio 680 WPTF. And this is Linda Lewis. And this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And this is Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And we're here to answer your financial questions tonight. Call us. Call us about any financial question you've got concerning your money matter, and we will address it. That's right. Some of those topics might be cash flow planning, tax planning, retirement planning, estate planning, education costs, analysis on your insurance, and investments. Call us about anything tonight. That's what we're here for. And that phone number is 919-860-9783. This is Money Matters on News Radio 680 WPTF and the Lewis family is live. 919-860-9783. I want to make sure that all of our listeners have had a reminder to go and watch our new website because it's brand new. It went live last week. We have videos of the three of us. And the website address is DougAndLinda.com, DougAndLinda.com. And uh, give us your feedback. Let us know how you like the website. And to all of our listeners, we hope you're staying cool. I know it's been <laughs> hot, hot, hot out there, but at least it's not raining <laughs> or sleeting. <laughs> so what is new in the world of investment planning? Well, I saw something interesting this weekend. There was an article that talked about um, some funds that I thought, well, you know, they're sort of obscure. They're called managed payout funds. And the article did good, did a good job bringing it up, but left me with a lot of questions. How about you, Linda? Yeah, I read the article, but I wasn't sure or I wasn't exactly clear about h- how these work or what they are. Yeah, the <clears throat> the story is like this. And. It's not anything new that investors go through accumulation phases in their life and then it comes time they want to start taking money out of their investments. And so mutual fund firms help investors throughout the years, but they're still trying to find the right formula for investors to draw down those savings. Uh, we're seeing products that are aimed at workers preparing for retirement or retirees looking for steady income. And instead of getting like a lump sum, 
here's a hunk of money, and now it's yours. Do what you want with it. And, of course, we know there are things like annuities and there, there are various uh, target date funds, but these managed payout funds are somewhat of a newer version. And a newer version of automating the investment uh, depletion or taking the money from the fund? Is is that what it's designed to do? Yes, yes, and yes. That's okay. the whole thing, Deborah. All right. Because the latest products that we're seeing, and they are being brought out by some major companies, Franklin Templeton, Charles Schwab, uh, other companies are, are coming out, and they're joining an earlier generation of funds, which were also managed payout funds. The managed payout funds, though, have struggled. They've struggled to gain uh, a lot of acceptance, and it's not really clear yet whether these new products are going to prove any more appealing to retirees than the last set of managed payout funds came in. Uh, they're just, uh, they're, they're struggling. That's okay. what they're doing. They're struggling to see if they can come up with a formula. Isn't what? it true that retirees are trying to find a way to live off their savings in an era of historically low interest rate funds? True. I think that's why there's there's a lot of um, uh, maybe techniques that are out there. They're trying to give retirees a way to take money from the accumulated investments. But bottom line, what we always come back to is any rule of thumb is not going to apply to you. You really have to meet with a certified financial planner. That is because true. even these managed payout products, they typically work um, differently. Uh, and matter of fact, they work as their opposite of an um a target date fund where they where they would have a mix of stocks bonds and other assets and then adjust those proportions to become more conservative as you you know were ready getting ready to retire here they uh work differently so you would take they would you by taking the lump sum they would invest it for you in a way that would allow for a reliable stream of income to flow back out to you over a period of time, um, and I'm guessing you would you would tell them how long you'd want that time period. Well, it's, it's if you think about it, the concept can be appealing to investors who are hesitant to buy annuities. Mm-hmm. And of course, we for many years now on this program have alerted investors to watch out for annuities because annuities are pitched, and I'll use that term quite uh, cautiously because there's a sales pitch that goes behind the sale of an annuity, which makes it look like you're getting a nice guaranteed stream of income, but without letting you know that you give up your principal. Or to say it another way, you give up all of your chickens in exchange for the eggs from those chickens. The insurance company keeps the chickens, if you will. That's an annuity. And so investors who are hesitant about annuities are are liking this type of investment because it also gives you a steady income, it's not guaranteed, but it is steady, uh, and you don't have to give up control of the lump sum. You okay. can go ahead and stop it whenever you want. Uh, but there are drawbacks to these types of, of, of investments. Oh, what right. are those drawbacks? <clears throat> well, the payouts, of course, as I said, are not guaranteed, so the investor then could see the stream of income fluctuate. And then you have the matter of the investor's lump sum. Where, where is the money being invested? Well, it's it's going into a, a mix of mutual funds and ETFs selected based on when the investor retires or wants to retire and whether he wants to get out 4% or 5% over a period of time, say 30 years and so on. The, the Then the investment itself, the, the investments that are in these uh, these fund of funds, if you will, 
the portfolios start out very conservatively in the early years. Then they increase uh, with more stocks, more alternative assets. And then in the later years, uh, they're going to go more into the very conservative things. And then the other thing that I don't like about them is they're very expensive. You know, the minimum investment in one of the companies that was uh, that's getting a lot of publicity these days is $100,000, and there's a 1% annual fee. Now, 1%, that's a lot on $100,000. I mean, uh, that is very, very heavy. So to me, what they're trying to do here is they're trying to avoid using a true certified financial planner and advisor, because this is exactly what we do in our office, isn't right, it? Right, right. We take a client's portfolio. We see maybe maybe we've got a million-dollar portfolio, and uh, we start with not how long is it going to last, but what do we start with, Deborah? Living expenses. The living expenses. What What's the we, need? Right, right. You exactly. know, and I, I often um, uh, think about this is that, you know, garbage in is garbage out, because if we're trying to... M- hit a target of a percentage, we'll never know if we're taking out the right amount of income, which is coming from the retirement plans, to meet our living expense needs. If we have a running uh, evaluation or analysis of our living expenses, we know how much income we need from our portfolio. It might be that our portfolio is large enough and we only need 1%. Why take out four? And not only so, the living expense need will vary. From Absolutely. year to year. Nobody's really needs good stay frozen really good and point. so forth. You might right. so do I think more my, vacations yeah. and then you might pay for college expenses, but it varies. And so that's why it is important to work with a fee-based financial planning firm with a certified financial planner that can address your specific question, that's, uh, questions and situation. That's what we do, and that's what we do all day long, all year long. Year after year, we've been doing it for over 33 years here for investors in the uh, Research Triangle Park and the Eastern North Carolina. So call us. Call us at the office if you want to schedule an appointment. Yeah. The office number is 919-872-7000. That's also known as USA 7000. And tonight, if you want, call us on the open lines. The number is 919 919- Eight six zero nine seven eight three. Pick up your phone and dial right now. Nine one nine eight six zero nine seven eight three. Doug, Linda, I just want to remind our listeners that we are also giving away free books for any clients who are making appointments these days. It's been my pleasure. Last week I gave two or three books away, which is always nice. That means there's new clients coming to see us. Uh, asking their questions. Why don't you remind us of the names of those books we're giving away, Absolutely. Deborah? Yes, sir. The books are The Wealthy Barber or The Middle Class Millionaire or Simple Wealth, Inevitable Wealth. All good reads. But uh, make an appointment with us and um, enjoy a complimentary copy of one of these three books. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewis Family on News Radio 680 WPTF. And you can also live stream the program if you happen to be near your computer. And what else is new in the world of investment planning? Well, investment planning, um, there's, let's see, mutual funds, and a lot of people might be evaluating how theirs did. So it brings up the question, when should you sell a lagging fund? What if you're unhappy with your returns? Let let me bring the uh, the subject then back to uh, a very uh, popular subject on this program, the difference between active and passive management. Now, of course, 
Those of us that know the investment world and those of our listeners that read the Wall Street Journal and other financial news play, uh, newsletters are very aware of this debate, active versus passive, active versus passive. Uh, do you want mutual funds that are passive funds or do you want actively managed funds? And passive funds are – what are passive funds, Deborah? Uh, index funds. Index funds generally and ETFs. Those yeah. are Those are ones where the manager is not actively involved in trying to beat an index but just rides with the index. Well, right now, the opposite of passive, the active funds, over half of all actively managed funds are beating their benchmarks this year according to Morningstar. And that's very rare. And so now all of a sudden the question is – well, what do you do if your actively managed fund, which is beating the indexes, is still underperforming other active managed funds? In other words, when do you sell? When do you get out of the fund? You know, it's, uh, it, it's sort of interesting. Investors have roughly $120 billion, uh, that have gone into actively managed funds recently. That means there's a broad array of investors wondering whether to go ahead and bail out because many of those are underperforming. I, of course, you, if you're, if you're having faith in the manager, then you're just sort of having faith that the tide will turn. Right. But a big caution would be, I mean, while selling might stop the pain, it could be an un, it could be an unwise decision because you could just be chasing performance and by throwing, and that's just like throwing money at the latest hot fund. So it's just as bad to sell a fund based on poor performance than it is, um, you know, just trying to chase returns. Yeah, there are a few questions that you can ask, however. Okay. Uh, questions, tough questions. Questions like, why did you originally buy the fund? Does the fund's investment philosophy still make sense to you? And does either past or recent performance provide any reason for hope that things are going to turn around? Well, those are good questions. Those are um, timely, too, because one fund, I, I won't say the name, but um, has gone through a number of changes in recent years. They've switched it, their focus from small U.S. companies to a mix of small and mid-sized firms, and then mainly mid-sized firms by the end of 2012, and that can cause a lot of confusion. If you went in thinking you were investing in... Uh, let's say a small cap fund, and then by the, by the time it's 2012, you realize, well, wait a second, these were all larger companies. Therefore, my expectation wasn't met by what I thought the parameters of the fund would be. But um, that same fund changed its name and its benchmark, and uh, of course now it looks a little different compared to its new benchmark. So there can be a lot of things that you need to investigate, that you need to meet with a certified financial planner and find out whether or not the fund and why you went into it to begin with is still is still um, what the manager's focus is. Well, I think there are a couple of takeaways here. The takeaway, for investors at least, is don't rush to dump a fund that's lagging just because your timing could be off and the fund may still fit your investment needs. But if you're going to invest in actively managed funds, you need to be prepared to spend the time and the effort to evaluate them and, of course, that brings us back to, well, what do we do at Lewis Financial Management with our clients' portfolios? Well, Doug, tell us a little bit more about what active management is. What's the difference between active management at our firm? All right. I think that's an important understanding. There is active management, which is the opposite of passive management. In other words, a mutual fund either has a group of stocks or bonds sort of designed to – 
to be like an index, and the manager does very little in trying to beat the index. He tries just to keep smoothing the amount of one stock versus another, so it always looks like the same ratio of the uh, of the index. That's an that's a uh, passive fund. However, active funds are funds whose managers are actively trying to always beat an index. And then we come to how do they do it? Well, how do they do it? Well, there are two ways. There are two ways of active management. One is at the company level research. This is a fundamental approach where we're, where the manager is researching each individual company or each individual stock of a company and making his decisions based on what his research says. And another is another type of active management is technical analysis, whether they feel that the stock's uh, P.E. ratio is too high, whether it's uh, there are other indicators that are saying uh, there's a danger, we should get rid of this stock and so forth. That's a technical analysis versus a fundamental research-based analysis. Now, that's the difference between active management and the two kinds of active management. Then there comes the ma- – and, and by the way, I will say this. At Lewis Financial Management, we really are not very much in favor of technical analysis. We uh, we really don't like alphas and betas and well we just that's right Linda they're, they're, yeah we don't want to know where the stock is going to be in twelve months we want to know where the company is going to be in twelve months that's right and right. even more so we want to know that our managers are making the decisions along those lines along the research on the particular company you might think of Warren Buffett's mm-hmm. we want we want our investors to have their money sort of spread over uh, a number of different Warren Buffett's uh, now. That's active management. What do we do at Lewis Financial Management once we have selected mutual funds that are actively managed according to fundamental research? Then we add on the active advice to it. And the active advice is sort of the way that we design the portfolios for our investors. We're always focusing on reducing your risk. So if you still like the manager and the manager has a satisfactory 10-year average, then... We're going to say, let's keep this fund. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if the average of the last 10 years has uh, dropped below what we consider acceptable. Or something has changed in the manager's style. Very good. The focus on that fund, it very may good. not fit us anymore. Or the manager has left. Oh, that's a good exactly. one. Exactly. That's and, really right. a big. Right. So those are the reasons Red that we life. would say to sell the fund and get out of it. So we add active advice to active management. And this is, this is the way we approach the issue. We never make sure, we never, never let the client have to do that. That's right, not right. Right, right. And Doug, is that sometimes in, uh, versus what some folks, uh, do in using ETFs with passive? That's right. ETFs are another, another vehicle, which is basically a passive vehicle. You're not looking at the individual stocks or the manager inside the fund, the fund is really trading as a stock. It's an exchange-traded fund, so it's moving up and down itself, and people are buying and selling ETFs, and now you're in another world. This is not for financial planning the way we practice it at Lewis Financial Management. So active management and active advice, that is what we offer at Lewis Financial Management LLC in Raleigh, North Carolina. And if you're listening this evening, thank you for joining us. And you're listening to Money Matters with the Lewis Family on News Radio 680 WPTF. Hope you're having a wonderful Sunday afternoon. If you have a question for the Lewis Family, call right now, 919-860-9783. 
Again, that number is 919-860-9783. In fact, let's take a caller now. Terry, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you? I was interested in finding out what you think about if you had several different retirement accounts, combining them all together and turning them over to companies that manage retirement investments or any kind of investments for you. Of course, they do it for a fee, and I just don't know anything about it, but it's been suggested to me that that's what I ought to do. How old are you, Terry? I'm 46. You married a single? Married. And uh, how old is your husband? 47. What's your income? About 100000 All right. And what's his income? Oh, no, together. I'm sorry. Oh, that's combined income? Yes. Okay, combined income, about 100000 Uh Do you know what your expenses are? Your living expenses are running? They're probably running about 80 to 90. All right, so you're spending most of what you're earning. Well, matter of fact, that's not doesn't even leave enough to pay for taxes. Well, just enough to pay for taxes. And we have a retirement account that right. was funded through our business. You own your own business? We have our own corporation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Small business. All right, so now what type of retirement plan do you have right now? SEP IRAs in mm-hmm. about six or eight different ones. You've got six or eight SEPs. Mm-hmm. And what's the combined value of all of them? Probably about 125000 125000 Have you been able to fund it to the max in the past years? Yes. What types of SEP IRA investments is it in now? It's in mutual funds. Individual mutual funds? Individual mutual funds. So you have a SEP account with one mutual fund and a SEP account with another mutual fund. Is is that what you're saying? That's exactly right. All right. And you also have both SEPs because you have one for you and one for your husband? That is correct. All right. Are you both employees or is one the... we are both employees. All right. What about the other employees? The business does it for them. The business does it for everybody. Okay. Now, you and your husband, then, you cannot combine your SEP IRA accounts with his. No, that is correct. Oh, 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 I understand that. Yeah, I understand that. All right. But, I mean, like I could combine my six or eight and his six or eight can be combined. Yes. About how much is in yours and how much is in his? Oh, I'd say the difference probably 80 and 40, about, 85 and 40, something like that. All right. About 85 is is his and about 40 is yours? Right. Okay. First of all, your money should be rolled over and combined, yes, into one SEP IRA account. He should have his 85000 with one trustee, and you should have your 40000 with another trustee. Okay. That does not necessarily mean, however, that you should give up mutual funds and give it to a money manager. Right. The problem gets bigger and bigger as the years go on about keeping the record keeping. So right. You want the trustee to be one where you're getting one consolidated statement, especially when you start wanting to go ahead and make withdrawals. Also, to move money. If you were to move it from one trustee to another trustee, you have to do a trustee-to-trustee transfer, and you can do that as many times as you want during the year, but they usually surrender penalties to come away from one trustee to another. So, you, yes, you should be in one trustee. But this thing about putting all your eggs in one basket, if you put it all with that particular fund... I'm not recommending. I definitely don't think you should do that. Okay. You should never have all of your money in any one fund. Okay. You need an asset allocation pattern. But what I'm trying to explain to you is don't confuse the chicken house with the chickens. You just asked me, should all of your chickens be in one chicken house? The answer is yes. Okay. But you don't want to have one big, giant, fat chicken and a bunch of little tiny chickens. You want all your chickens to be relatively the same size. Right. Your chickens are the investments. So if he's got $85,000... And this year he's going to put in another twenty-two-five. That's going to be a hundred thousand dollars. I'd maybe have that spread over five twenties or four twenty-fives. You see, see what I mean? See, your chicken house is like your trustee, right? So you would have one trustee instead of having six or eight trustees, right? 
Right. And there are such animals out there yeah. as independent trust companies. Yeah. They could also, that's a very good point, Linda. She could have an independent trust company. Hers is small enough to where she might go with one custodial. It's a $10 fee instead of $40. Right, right. Going to an independent trust company will let you go across different families of funds and still have it with one trustee. Right. Okay. Okay. But I don't think you should go into a money manager's hands. I think that you should stay with the mutual funds, but you should have an asset allocation pattern. You should check, you should select the mutual funds with the help of a financial planner. You should develop an asset allocation pattern saying how much money should be equally spread amongst different investments so you don't have all your eggs in any one basket. Right. Okay. And if we can be of any assistance, you can call me at the office in Raleigh. That number is 919-872-7000. That's USA 7000. All right, then. Well, I thank you very much. Thank you for calling, Terry. All right. Take care. And I guess I forgot to answer the part of your question, Terry, about fees. Yes, you should be willing to pay a fee because you want a person such as myself or such as Deborah, a certified financial planner who is actually under your fee control where you're paying the fee for the advice and how to continue putting this together according to the asset allocation model. So as you go forward in life, you can achieve financial independence, which is your ultimate goal. Doug and Deborah, don't you find that the average person out there, the listeners that have come to us, are diligently working year after year, month after, you know, month after month, year after year, and decade after decade, and spend their time accumulating But many of them, when they come to us, they still have questions about where should my investments be or I have all this stuff and I don't know what whether I'm doing the right thing. And I'd say that's our most typical question. My husband may have a little bit of dementia coming on. What do I do? So if you're out there listening and you have a question or this sounds like your scenario, what should they do, Deborah? That's right. Give us a call tonight. We would love to be here to answer it. Um, uh, we've got uh, about half the show left, so give us a call, and uh, we'll try and answer your question, because that is the most typical question. Am I on the right track? Did I do the right thing so far? What can I do better over the next 5, 10, 20 years, depending on how much longer I have? Have I properly prepared my spouse to be able to take over things if I'm not here? These are typical questions that we get every week, and we're helping people just like you answer those questions for themselves based on their own situation. So give us a call tonight. You can ask that first question by calling right now, 919-860-9783. The Lewis family is in studio tonight. All you got to do is dial 919-860-9783. And visit our website at DougAndLinda.com. That's right. You know, while waiting for our next caller to come in, I'm very pleased to find out that several people have told me they have recently they subscribe to Time Magazine or Business Week or Sports <laughs> Illustrated, and apparently they really enjoy our full-page ad that's in the – if you're a subscriber. So you'll see the three of us, if you were a subscriber to one of those three magazines, uh, that's sitting on your dining room table. Yeah, the May issue. So uh, so we'll, we would love your feedback on that too. I'm sorry. Actually, the June issue. It's the June sure, issue. Sure, it is. Sorry. <laughs> Can you believe it? Half the year is gone. Well, what are you going to do with the next half of the year? Tonight's the night to make that decision. And um, and uh, one of those questions might be... Um, what do I do about death 
and taxes. Well, and that's an estate and tax issue, isn't it, Debs? It really is, you know, because you may not know it, but um, uh, we're all we we are all always wondering, well, what's going to happen at our death? And there was an article in this week's Wall Street Journal um, that really caught my eye. Uh, it was talking about how you may not know that there are some things that are around the corner, and while you might not be. Uh, worried about the estate taxes that might be on your estate when you die, here are some other things that you might need to be thinking about. So um, thanks to this very high federal estate tax exclusion of $5.43 million this year, a lot of people will never be affected by state taxes. Matter of fact, um, very few. Yet many heirs of, um, in, of people will uh, face steep tax bills. Doug, do we... Yeah, um, I, I want to. I don't want to avoid the issue because it's a crucial issue, and it's one that many people are not aware of. But I want to take Bob's call first. I think Bob's on hold. Bob's in Cary. Bob, this is Doug Lewis, certified financial planner. Deborah Lewis, certified financial planner. How can we help you this evening? Well, I have a I have a neighbor that's uh, in in his nineties, uh, and he recently turned over the management of his uh, assets to his son, which I would suggest probably is somebody in there. Six days as former stockbroker, maybe with uh, um, James Raymond James or Merrill Lynch or whatever. But he, he wants to pump up his uh, portfolio by trading options, and um, I, I just don't think that that's a smart idea. And I wanted to get your take on that. Well, tell me a little bit about, well, let me see, are we talking about yourself or about him? I need some numbers to know what we're, we're talking we're, about, Bob. We're, we're, we're talking about him. All right. Well, tell me a little bit about, uh, now, what's the size of his portfolio? Uh, I really don't know. This. I don't think it's, I think it's, it's modest at the mo- at the best. It's probably in the neighborhood of a quarter of a million dollars. Yeah, that's like asking me if a gentleman walks into men's warehouse and say, do you think he really needs a suit or not? And I'm going to ask you, well... Is he 300 pounds or 100 pounds? And if we say, I don't know, we, I don't have enough information to answer. I can give you some broad, uh, uh, well, let's do that. Let's do I some can, broad well, guidelines. I can tell you what we do in our office. Yeah. Uh, we've been doing this for over 33 years. We have, uh, uh, this is exactly what we do. We never use options. We never use options because options are not a, a planning tool. Options are a speculation tool. So, and we're very much against speculation. Uh, now there's all, the, and, and, and I'm very familiar with, with the covered calls and the naked calls, as well as the, the, the puts and the collars. Those are strategies of speculation, but they are not planning tools. For example, I, uh, let's say that we have a client and he and his wife are in their sixties and they have combined income of maybe uh, $150,000 getting ready to go ahead and retire. Their living expenses are about maybe, uh, four or $5,000 a month. And their entire portfolio non-retirement might be about 400,000. And all of their 401ks might be together, uh, 600,000. And they want to know how do they plan to make sure that they will never outlive their money. I think that I think that that's key, uh, and and you've and you've hit the nail on the head, which is something I hadn't thought of, which is that it's that it's not a planning strategy. It's not a planning strategy at all. It's a vehicle. It's like uh, so. Okay, so you made it on this one. 
So, you know, you got your, you, you got, you, you hit it just right on this particular option. Now, what do you do with the money? You go to the next one and you go to the next one. And, but you're not able to say, you're not able to say, I expect seven years from now, this will be the size of your portfolio and this is the income that it will come out and your living expenses will be fully covered and the taxes are this. That's what we do. It's a, we're very much against risk. Now I will say this. There's, uh, there are people out there who are also talking about, uh, a fixed income coming to you, but they're really pushing a product called annuities, which again, we're not, we're very much against annuities, uh, because there you're giving up your principal. We like to talk about investments as chickens because chickens are an easy illustration. Chickens give off eggs. Eggs can be considered the income. Chickens can be considered your principal. And we like to say you should never kill your chickens. Just live off your eggs. And then, of course, as time goes on, you should have more chickens giving off more eggs. And in the design of the portfolios that we're doing, we always want to be able to put a future projection to see where you should be based upon those living expenses. So planning, from our view, begins absolutely at the personal level with what, Deborah? With uh, the expenses. With the living expenses. The Knowing living what expenses. You, yeah, living expenses, right. yeah. But, and there's and there's basic principles, financial planning principles that you have to follow if you're an advisor. Um, you know, so it does, may be that the you know I don't know these guys that they are working with uh, they may be brokers or stockbrokers. Well, they are brokers. But right. you know, I think it's very prudent of you as uh, someone that cares about him because he's your neighbor and you care about him. Correct. And and uh, he's he's got long life genes. But if God forbid something happens and. You know, he goes to the drugstore and, and falls over and, and breaks his hip and then has to go in a nursing home. Then how does he pay for that bill? You won't want him in options. <laughs> well, that's, that, that's what I was thinking, but I, I wasn't able really to articulate, um, why don't you have him, why don't you have him go to our website? Our website is very illustrative. We just redid it after a lot of work and we've got videos on their on our website. Go to DougAndLinda.com. Okay, I'll do that with him. Yeah, and I think he might uh, he, he might uh, uh, get a little bit of help. Of course, if his son is a broker, then it's not going to matter one way or the other because his son has his own feelings. But on the other hand, at you least know, he can see what the financial planner's view is. Yeah, I, as I said, I think it's irresponsible. <laughs> well, thanks for your call, Bob. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye now, and have a wonderful week. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewis Family on News Radio 680 WPTF. And if you've got a question, call us on the open line at 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783. So, Doug, Linda, we were talking about taxes, the taxes that might be due on inherited retirement accounts. Yeah, because many people are now aware that we really don't have much of an estate tax problem at all, at least in, if your estate is under $10 million. That's right. If you, so if your estate is under $10 million, right now, the current estate law has wiped out any fear of taxes upon death. But most people are not aware of the fact that there is still one huge tax still looming. And that is what we call the IRD tax, the income on respective decedent tax. And that is the tax that is due on retirement accounts that are inherited. That's right, because let's not forget, money set aside in an IRA or a 401k is untaxed income. 
So it has to be taxed at some point. And let's say you um, leave or bequeath a stock in a regular taxable account. And if that has climbed in value, the cost of the investment for tax purposes automatically rises to its current value as of the death of the of the owner. This is step up in cost basis. And this means that the potential capital gains tax bill can disappear. So but, that's great. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> but let's be clear what you just said, Deborah, because our listeners may not understand. That is wonderful. What that says is if you bought a stock for $100,000 or a mutual fund for $100,000 years ago and it grew to be a million dollars and you die today, your heirs can sell it tax-free the next day because the cost that you paid for a hundred a hundred thousand is now considered a million dollar cost, and a million dollar sale price leaves zero gain and zero tax. That is what's happening, and that's the step up in basis. But that's only if it wasn't inside a retirement account. So, if you die owning re- traditional retirement accounts mm-hmm. like four hundred one ks and IRAs, then the income taxes are still going to have to be paid by your heirs. There is no step up in basis. And this tax problem could get a whole lot worse if Congress kills off the new stretch IRA proposal. Well, uh, right now, after you die, your IRA's beneficiaries can draw down the account slowly over their their lifetime. That's that stretch IRA option. But if the stretch IRA disappears, your heirs may be forced to empty inherited retirement accounts within five years of your death. And the extra income could push them into, and probably would, a much higher tax bracket. So this could be bad for them. Yeah, it is bad for them. Uh, Yes, all this is bad news for many Americans. And for the typical household that's approaching retirement age, retirement accounts are generally the second largest asset that they own after their home. I'm realizing more and more these years that the our clients who, uh, we talk about the middle-class millionaire, mm-hmm. they've worked hard, they've mm-hmm. accumulated through their life, and on paper they are worth over a million dollars. And yes, their home is a big piece of it. But mm-hmm. I'm surprised to see how many hardworking Americans have accumulated in their 401k 500000 dollars $700,000. And these are the ones who are going to be hit if the stretch IRA provisions are eliminated. So, Doug, what should we do? Well, there are a couple of things you can do. First of all, you could uh, just you could do you could ignore the traditional advice for retirees, which says tap out your your uh, taxable accounts first and leave your retirement accounts to to grow tax deferred and 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 go that way. Now, I say that's the typical thought out there. It's not what we practice at Lewis Financial Management. Okay. So, forget, so instead, that's one, yeah, so, uh-huh. all right. So instead you go, you'd go the other way. You'd say, well, let's get it out. Let's start drawing it out, drawing it out from the, uh, from the, my IRA and moving it over into my personal portfolio so that it will have step up in basis. Right. So even if I didn't need to use it to live off of, and it was a part of my, uh, withdrawal, my withdrawal system, I could have it even reinvested in my personal por- portfolio and then my heir would inherit it at step up in basis. That's exactly right. Now that's one possibility. Another possibility, which I'm not in favor of, but which people are talking about when they're looking at this problem that's that's looming, uh, is to move towards Roth IRAs. I don't think that's a wise decision because that means I'm paying the taxes now. 
And another way that people are talking about it is, well, maybe we should get some insurance. Okay. Maybe we should buy life insurance that will go cover ahead and the taxes? cover that tax, that IRD tax that's going to be happening to my children when they get this million-dollar uh, retirement account that I have accumulated, and they're going to have to pay $300,000 in taxes. Maybe I should get $300,000 of life insurance. Okay. There's now, a- yeah, Doug, well, we have recently had a case. Yes, that where we used a different technique altogether. Tell us about that. What else is possible? I really like talking about this because this one is quite unique. If the stretch IRA disappears, it could make sense to leave your IRA not to your children. We're assuming your spouse is gone now. Mm -hmm. Leave it to a charitable remainder trust for the benefit Mm -hmm. of your children. And that's what you're talking about, Deborah. We have done that because now technically you're leaving it to a charity. And the charity pays no tax. And so you keep it intact inside the CRT. That's right. And then there are no taxes paid only as it comes out, right? Only as the income comes out to your beneficiaries. That's, that's right. exactly right. Your kids. And, and part of that is going to be non-taxable and part of that's going to be taxable. As with the stretch IRA, the trust then lets your heirs enjoy lifetime withdrawals from the IRA. Very creative. Now, these are definitely strategies that we would use only if we look at the total picture. Isn't that right? Sure. It has to make sense. You know, each case is is different from the other. Um, So what we do is comprehensive financial planning. That's right. And in some cases, for some clients, we produce a financial plan. That's right. I remember when you wrote your first financial plan, the Benny (laughs) and the Barney Rubble. (laughs) <laughs> financial plan and the Flintstones. <laughs> Let me see. I think what year was that? That must have been 1980. 83, 84. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, you know, even, uh, you know, you know, 33 years later, we're still getting calls about, um, about questions on what to do when, when we have life changes. We have just about 15 minutes left here on the show. Uh, Money Matters on News Radio 680 WPTF. And you can be our next guest. Dial 919-860-9783. Again, the number right here in studio is 919-860-9783. Well, oh, go ahead, Linda. And call us at Lewis Financial Management. We'd love to schedule an appointment with you. That number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Yeah, there are a lot of people asking a lot of questions, and some of those uh, questions are coming from people who have gone through the downsizing at, at GlaxoSmithKline. Um, it's one of the it, well, it was one of and it was one of the Triangle's largest employers, and now it's down to about four thousand employees. Um, it shed about a fifth of its workforce. And um, a lot of the people in our area have 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 felt that. Um, I'm still receiving emails from. Um, we're getting a number of them. People we are, who are asking, what do I do? Yeah, yeah. The healthcare market globally is undergoing unprecedented changes right now, and GSK uh, is experiencing them. Uh, so, I mean, it, I, I want to say this to the GSK employees who are uh, facing this tough decision. GlaxoSmithKline. Uh, yeah, the, the life changes in front of them. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Uh Seek competent financial advice. Uh, give us a call, and we will go ahead and walk you through the options. Now, some of the options 
Let's say that you are looking for another employment, another job, and you've even found one. Well, you need to be aware of the fact that you could make an irrevocable decision that you would seriously regret with regard to, let's say, your 401k. That's a, that, that is a, a serious thing that you want to realize, oh, you better just not go along and do Either nothing or roll it into the new employer's 401k. You have this moment in time where you can actually, when you are uh, released from employment, whether it's your own or you leave, once you are no longer an employee of that company, the IRS gives you a little benefit, which is you can roll it into your own individual retirement account. Then so have- it keeps its tax-free status, but it's not locked into just what the employer's options were. Let's say that you don't have another job that you're looking at. And you're wondering, what do I do? I'm under 59 years old. What can I possibly do? Well, maybe you are a candidate for Section 72T, where we can show you how you do not have to pay that 10% penalty tax that you always heard about. And we can show you how you can live off of your retirement savings and not have to pay that penalty because there's provisions in the tax law. There are a lot of things that you probably would like to know what your choices are. What your choices are. So we're just saying to all of our GSK listeners, uh, give us a call. We're here. We've been through it many, many times, as Linda likes to say. We've been through it over the last few decades. Whether Started, it's been Cisco or Nortel, IBM. Do you remember the first Sears ones, Linda? The Sears, the Sears oh, downsizes, yes, the IBM downsizes. <laughs> We've been through all of them. We can help you. Write down your questions and work with a competent advisor, a fee-based financial planning uh, advisor that can assist you in getting answers to your next move from your job at GSK to the new one. And interestingly enough, I was reading uh, the news the other day, and Raleigh, in one of the uh, money sections, said that Raleigh is in the, is number one in the nation, the number one city to, uh, for jobs, for getting jobs. You know, I'm not surprised. It's a nice place to live. It's a nice place to call home. I happen to have my own bias. I agree 100%. Exactly, exactly. Let's take a call. All right, Doug, let's take another call. John, this is Doug Lewis with Money Matters. How can I help you this evening? Uh, yes, Doug, I had a question for you. My wife and I are going through uh, refinancing our mortgage now. Uh, and the question that I have is, is we're going looking at the options of going from a 30 to a 15-year type arrangement. Mm-hmm. Uh, comparing that to, say, the additional amount that, well, the situation is that we don't, our our new mortgage is only available in a 30. We're going with a 525 plan. Right. Um, and we're comparing whether or not to pay the additional amount to, say, pay it a 15-year amortization versus putting that additional money into some other type of uh, investment. How old are you, John? I'm uh, 28. 28 years old. Are you, are you employed? Sure. What's your income? Uh, around uh, 45. 45,000. Your wife's income? Is she working? Yes. What's her income? Uh, around 30. 30,000. Combined family income, about 75,000. Any children at home? Uh, none yet. No children. What we call financial planning for dinks. Dual income, no kids. Dinks. That's right. Uh, living expenses should be able to live and actually probably one of the one of the incomes. Right. Would hope so. That sounds good. That means you. All right. Now, what you've just basically asked, and what's the size of the mortgage? Well, one other thing I'd like to, to say is that the, the house that we're in now, we're you know would like to, well, uh, you know, optimistically, or 
we're looking in five years or less to move out of this house into a larger house. So we're we're taking a short-term view versus they keeping this house and paying it off. So that we definitely know that we will be moving out within four to five year time frame. All right. Uh, how big is the mortgage? Uh, it's let's see, uh, around the, de- the amount of the, that you want to borrow. Uh, around one hundred and five. One hundred and five thousand dollars. What's the value of the house? Uh, one hundred and thirty thousand. One hundred and thirty thousand. And what is the delta, the difference between the 30-year and the 15-year payment? Uh, around, if I recall. Hello? John? John, are you there? All right. Well, John, if you're still trying to get through to us, looks like we lost your call. us back. Let's take Karen's call. We're waiting for John to get back. Karen, are you there? This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. Are you on hold? Yes, I am. How can we help you, Karen? I have one of my portfolios with Vanguard, and I'm going to be 90, and I live off my, you know, finance and my portfolios. And I have a portfolio with them, which is Wellesley, Intermediate Corporate, and High Yield Corporate, and there's 135000 in those three, with the Wellesley the highest amount in it. Uh, about 67000 in Wellesley, and the rest is intermediate corporate and high yield. And um, <clears throat> I was just concerned what your opinion would be. Well, let me ask you a couple of questions. You say you're 90 years old, Karen? I'm going to be in August. And what is the entire size? Congratulations. Si- yeah, the, the entire size of, your, of, of all of your portfolio, you said this is one part of it. Yes. Well, I have different portfolios. All right. So what are the, what's the total of all of your portfolios, first of all, outside uh, of IRAs? I would say about um, about 300000 All right. So it's about 300000 total. And is all of it outside of IRAs? Oh, yes. Okay. All right. Why do you have these funds? That's the first question I would ask you. I have these funds because I, I live on my... Uh, but I mean, why did you select these funds versus another fund? Well, I, I researched them and listened to you, and I listened to a lot of financial programs, and I came to this decision. Okay. Well, I, what I would say is, Karen, first of all, we cannot, as, as you, if you, if you're a longtime listener, you know, we never talk about a specific fund on oh, the air, yes. right? Oh, yeah. But I, but and 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 that's because of regulatory. Surely. If you call my office, though, all I right. will definitely go ahead. And, uh, give you specific opinion and research on each of the funds that All you're mentioning. Right. The, right. the phone number at the office is 919-919-872-7000. Now, but before you get off the air, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to cheat you <laughs> of, of any advice I can tell you. Uh-huh. Alright. First of all, Vanguard is a family of mutual funds, which yes. is, uh, traditionally passively uh, it's th- their their philosophy is passive versus active. Yes. And of course, you may have tuned in late earlier in the show this evening. We were talking about how we favor active management. Yes, I heard you. Right. And so uh, that's the first thing to let you know is that we do favor active management versus versus passive. But everything is designed starting with the client themselves. And I would love to go through all of you. You know what your expenses are, what your living Uh expenses, and to be able to work backwards to see if I think this is the best place or should you be in a better arrangement, a better allocation. Fine, fine. I will give you a call uh, comes the first part of the week. Uh Thank you so much for calling. Good, we will definitely go through the specifics then, Karen. 
All right. Thank All right. You. Thank you for calling, and thanks for being a longtime listener. If you have a question tonight, give us a call, 919-860-9783. Well, and at our office, you can call us at Lewis Financial Management to all our listeners, 919-872-7000. That's USA 7000. If you schedule an appointment, we will give you uh, one of three books. That's The Wealthy Barber, Middle Class Millionaire, and uh, Simple Wealth, Inevitable Wealth. Well, Doug, Linda, there are um, some helpful tips for people as we approach the halfway mark of the first year, um, the first half of the year, uh, to be mindful of in the regard to taxes. Yeah, and I, I think it's wise. We have often told our clients that the difference between us and an accountant is an accountant accounts for what you've done after you've done it, and we are planning ahead of time Right. With tax planning. We want to help you project what the taxes will be. That's right. So one of the, one of the easy things to do right now is if you're a serial refund receiver, quote, quote, <laughs> you've got a golden opportunity to give yourself a mid-year pay raise. You could simply tell your boss to quit sending so much of your salary off to the IRS. In other words, you could file a new W-4 form at work to, uh, decrease the amount of withholdings and increase your take-home pay. But if you do that, you want to make sure that you invest it. You don't want to just go ahead and blow it. So that's the first thing you can do is fix your withholdings. That's right. A second thing you can do is mid-year adjustments for Obamacare. If you are receiving a subsidy uh, to help cover the cost of medical insurance under the Affordable Care Act, there are some things to think of. If your income or family size has changed during the year, maybe you got an unexpected raise or a new baby has arrived or a new college grad departed, the size of your subsidy could be affected. Check to make sure that the estimates you submitted while when you got this year's policy are holding true. If not, let healthcare.gov or your state's insurance exchange know as soon as possible. Now, we have a couple clients who are in different states, so know exactly where you got it and what state the insurance policy um, was under. The subsidy uh, amount can be uh, changed, so definitely check and see if you're still um, going to receive the whole subsidy. I think a third thing to always look at is to reevaluate your 401k contributions. Now, workers under 50, you need to remember that you can contribute as much as 18000 to your 401k accounts. Older workers can contribute this year up to 24000 And last year, it was only about seventeen five and twenty three. So you need to uh, find out, are you contributing at least up to the amount of catching all of the match that your employer may be giving you. If you're not contributing up to the match, then you're leaving money on the table, and that is a very foolish thing to do. That's right. All right, number four, you need to do a flex check. Do you recall how much of your salary you diverted into a flexible spending or a reimbursement plan to cover any 2015 medical or child care bills? Remember, this is a use it or lose it. This is use it or lose it money. And that makes mid-year a good time to check how reimbursable spending is tracking with the amount that you set aside. And I think the last thing to mention is to take a look at your taxable portfolio because uh, the temperature of your investments needs to be taken now. If you decide that you've got some losers, don't wait till the end of the year. Capture those losses to offset those gains. And I think I just heard the music. 
You've been listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, you can call Doug, Linda, or Deborah in Raleigh at 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. Or go to DougAndLinda.com. And listen again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for more Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF.